date night last night, and it was good. I just very, very much enjoyed myself. We did that shoe game. You know that game with your shoes? You know, like where they ask the question of the husband and wife and who does this more, who does that more, who does this and who does that? Nina and I got all of our questions right, except for one. Just for one question. I don't know what that was, but she was wrong. But... uh, uh, So uh, I do want to thank the church. I mean, the date night was just something I thought about. Uh, I knew we had great ministry in uh, Tim and Juliet Ross. But uh, just the fact that people just got behind it. We had over 60 couples plus a whole lot of single people. And it was just a really pleasant, wonderful night. Nice cakes, good coffee and uh, fantastic ministry. So I want to thank you as a church that you're early adopters. It's not something you knew about, yet you decided to get behind it. And uh, I think that's wonderful. We, had a, we just had a good night. And we will do that course as part of Emerge Life next year. It's nine weeks. It's called Upset the Vows. And it's just fantastic. And whether your marriage is awesome like ours or whether things are not so good, different things, then like it's a good course for you to do. And uh, that'll happen next year. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would take what I'm about to say. I believe that you've already been speaking, oh God. Father, Lord, just through the ministry time, there's something of your spirit here today, oh God. And I pray, oh Lord, that 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 would continue, oh Lord. Speak to people's spirits. Don't let them hear what Mark's got to say. Let them hear what God has got to say. And Father, Lord, I pray, let it bring challenge, let it bring change, let it bring conversion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what is our theme this year? Well done. So... Not long now, just another month. You'll never have to say that again. I'm thinking next year making some really long title for the year. And so, you know, no, I wouldn't do that, right? So, uh, you know, if you've been at Immerse Church for any time at all, uh, if you've been under Nina and I's ministry for any time at all, you would understand and know that hungry, thirsty people is what we're after. That we feel that there's a personal responsibility on us all to get hungry and thirsty for God, that the level of your hunger and the level of your thirst will actually determine how much God interacts in a sense of your life. That if you sit back and just have an observance of religious rules, if you just sit back and just have an observance of of coming to church, that there'll be a small engagement with the things of the Holy Spirit. But if you're hungry... And if you're thirsty and if you seek after the things of God, then God is going to meet you at that place because as you draw near to Him, God will draw near to you. That is very foundational. You know, we are putting on an encounter night this Thursday night because I want people to encounter God. I don't just want them to listen to nice sermons, have good music, go to a Christmas reduction, doing all of those things. They're great. I want you to encounter God. All of those are vehicles so that you can personally encounter God. You know, that merged church isn't as an organisation going to present itself at heaven. It's us as individuals that's going to come before heaven. Christianity is really about a group of individuals, not about a corporation or an organisation. It's about you. Meeting God, not with your husband, with your wife, not with your kids, not with your cousin, not with your mum and dad. It's you 
coming to God and there's a personal responsibility upon you to be hungry and to thirst after the things of God. Without personal hunger, without a thirst for God, your faith will quickly become sterile. And what that means, it means that there can be some activity, but there's no reproduction. There's, there's no growth. There's, there's no pregnancy, so to speak, because there's a sterility to your Christianity. It doesn't produce anything. You know, our desires and appetites are some of the greatest motivators that we have. Our desire for water, our desires for food is really a, an incredibly sustaining thing that we all have. It's a base desire we all have. And Jesus promised that he would satisfy the thirsty. And Paul said, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, in the end, I can talk all the talk. I could preach the greatest message ever preached. But I want to tell you, unless you engage in that, unless you taste that, it doesn't matter. It's as you hear the word of the Lord and receive the word of the Lord and eat of the word of the Lord and become a doer of the word of the Lord, you see that it's good and you go, I want some more of that. You know, last night at our date night, they had this caramel cheesecake, right? I ate of that and I wanted more of that. That was incredible. Something stirred within me. There were little angels dancing on my tongue. It was amazing. So being hungry and thirsty for the things of the kingdom is very important. And as I said, if you've been at our church at any time, you would know that that's a great value that I have. Now, I do want to say this. God doesn't need your faith to do a miracle. But I do also want to say that. Time and time again in the Bible and in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, you'll see that it was a person's faith demonstrated by hunger and thirst that saw God get them a miracle. Think about this. The woman with the issue of blood pushes through and gets her miracle. You've got the blind Bartimaeus yelling out. And then when he's getting stopped yelling out even the more, you have the Syrophoenician woman who kind of like gets kind of pushed to the side, but then just comes back again and says, no, I, I need this miracle for my daughter. So all of a sudden, all you see that those people had something that drew the miracle out of God. There was a faith, something that was seen. It was their hunger and thirst. Acts tells us of Paul preaching and he's just preaching away. And then suddenly he sees someone, he goes, oh, there's something different about that person. There's a, there's a faith. His, his leaning in is drawing something from me. And the Bible says that he saw he had the faith to be healed and God heals him. It's an amazing thing. So their faith was demonstrated by their hunger and thirst. You know, there are miracles there was no faith. I mean, Lazarus had no faith. You know, if you're dead in your grave clothes, there's not a lot of faith going on. Right, So there's not saying that without, you know, like God can't do something without faith. But if you look the majority of the times in the Word of God, it's when faith was shown, hunger and thirst was shown. And to be honest, I still believe that is true. Our faith, our Christianity, isn't the passive observance of right behaviour 
but it's a relationship. And in our date night, we kind of saw that what you put in is, is something very, very important. And in your relationship with God, what you put in is very, very important and it's very good. So the more I put in, the more I'll receive. So you can imagine my joy when recently in my devotions, I was reading Proverbs and I was reading Proverbs too and I found a passage that backed up what I believe, right? This is good. It's probably not the right way to read your Bible, right? Like I've got this theory. Let me find the scripture to back it up, right? I don't recommend that. That's bad, right? So, uh, but I was reading this Bible uh, verse in, in Proverbs 2 and I'm just going, oh, this is good. I mean, I read Proverbs a lot. I, I literally would probably read Proverbs most months, right? I like to read the Proverb kind of like, uh, you know, of the day. You know, Proverbs 6, 7 today, I'll read Proverbs. So it's, it's something that's a custom, something that I've done for years and years and years. And so you can imagine my surprise when I'm reading something that I've read literally probably hundreds of times. I see something that's like, oh, this is awesome. Nina was really mad because I'm sitting there going, I just read the Bible. I was literally, I just had a few moments, so I thought I'm just going to read the Bible. And I get this like eight-point sermon, and Nina's going, that's not fair, right? <laughs> like, so this is that sermon that I got right there. When I wasn't, I was literally just had some time in between one appointment to the next, so I was just reading the Proverbs, and I got this. So in Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 4, God is so intent on being able to share what hunger and thirst looks like that he uses eight different words to describe the very same thing. And what God is saying is he goes, hunger and thirst is so important that just one word isn't enough. One word shows you a bit of this, but another word shows you a bit of that. And, and another word shows you a bit of this. And when God takes the time to show us eight different things of the same word, I would say it's something we should listen to. God is really wanting to paint a picture. And it's also how God speaks to us. When God speaks to us, He doesn't just write it down chapter and verse in a sense when He comes and speaks to our spirit. It's something that many times a thousand words can't properly articulate. It's something that is a feeling. It's like the, the, the castle. You get a vibe of what God is actually saying. So today I want to have a look at that. You know, you, 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 you see, when you really want to know something the inside out, not just one word is going to describe it. Now let me illustrate it with this. We've probably heard this before. If I say the word snow, right, us as Queenslanders just see one thing, white icy stuff falling to the ground. I am 59 years old. I've never, ever seen snow to touch. I've seen it on a mountain when I've flown past it. And, you know, to be honest, snow is enough. I know what you're talking about. But in Canada, there are times where there's not one part of Canada that hasn't got snow on it. You know, we were looking at many years ago going to a church uh, in, a, in the U.S. We got our green card and we were offered a good church in uh, a place called Green Bay, which I think is in Illinois, right? It's a famous football team there. And uh, we were offered a church. So I looked it up and I saw that for six months of the year, the average temperature was below zero. You know what? I didn't need to pray. <laughs> I didn't need to pray. There was nothing. I, I only physical apparition of Jesus himself 
would have uh, got me there, right? So I, I don't need to see snow. It's not a big deal in my life, right? So, uh, but in Canada, they have 40 words to describe snow. Right? So I've got them up. They're going to come up. I think they're going to come up. All right. There's Bacan, right? So I'm not going to read all this because there's 40 of them. All right, just go through them all and you look at them yourself, right? There's Bacan, there's Blizzard, there's Corn Snow. What the heck is that? Coarse, granular, wet snow. Oh, my cycles are melting and refreezing. Next slide. I feel like Shane Willard. Next slide. Grawpool. Do you know you can get Grawpool Snow? Round, opaque snowflakes that look like polystyrene pellets. Now that sounds like fun. Right? Hoarfrost. All right. Frost that resembles spiky hairs. All right, next slide. Old snow. Well, I can see what that means. Penitence. That's repentant snow. That's Christian snow. All right. Tall, thin spikes of hardened snow. Next. Roller. A naturally occurring cylinder of snow formed by the wind. That actually looks, what do I say? I would like to see that. That sounds like it would be good to see. Ripples. Well, there you go. Next, slush. Yes, that's what I've heard snow always turns into. And people who live with snow go, it's not as exciting as you think. It just turns to slush. All right, next, All right, sun cups. Oh, shallow bowl-shaped hollows. Have you seen the sun cups today? Now, imagine I said that this morning without any back. Go, what the heck? Right? But all the Canadians going, yeah, they look great. Right? Next, white out. That just sounds horrible, doesn't it? Just white out. It's just like you can't go anywhere. So obviously, I'm not going to go through all of those. We're not here doing a uh, climate lecture today. Right? For us, it's snow. And as you can see, the more important something is to you, the more words you're going to have to describe that so that you can fully and faithfully describe that. So with that in mind, let's go and read Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 4. It starts off, my son. I think what you really got to realise all the time, understand that when any passage starts with my son, it's being written to us personally. This is to the individual. This is to us all as a group, but it's not written as a group, it's written to us. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. All these words that I've underlined in that scripture all talk about hunger and thirst. Eight words in four verses describing a hungry, thirsty disposition. Eight words essentially saying the same thing, but all with a little bit of a different nuance so that you can get the full understanding of what God is saying. God must really think that hunger and thirst are important. Receive, treasure, attentive, inclining, call, raise, seek, and search. So I want to have a look quickly at each of the nuances, and then we're going to pray. And as we do, hopefully a full picture will come to you of the importance of hungering and thirsting for the things of God. If 
you receive my words. So I went and had a look at all the original meanings. And the word receive here is a very strong word. It's, a, it's an action word. And it's like saying, it's mine. There, there comes a, 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 not a violence, but a, a seriousness. This is mine. It's saying, make it yours. So I, I think one of the keys to being hungry, thirsty, is to read the Bible personally. Read it looking for what God is saying to you. Yes, it's good to learn doctrine. It's good to learn history. It's good to learn context. It's good to know the stories. But what is God saying to you? It's not a sterile textbook with the seven how-tos. It's God's Word to you that's going to get the best out of you, that's going to make you the best person that God has for you. What is God saying to you? See, there are three words. You've heard me speak about them before, so I'm not going to go them in tonight today, that God has given me three passages, three verses of Scripture that as God has given to sustain me, stir me, guide me, they encourage me, they inspire me. And no matter what I'm going through, something of one of those three words is going to get me through. There's something in those three words. They're my life words. Some of them, one of them I got really just not long after I became a Christian. One I got in Bible college back in 1984. Yet today, in 2021, that word completely sustains me because it's my word. I've received it. It's mine. Not something that's just out there. This is mine. This is something that God has given me that I can use. These words are my staple diet and I desire them every day. You know, in my natural life, I like potatoes, right? I just love potatoes. I don't want anything. I just love potatoes. When we got married, Nina would make me all these nice foods and I'd go, just give me some boiled potatoes. Right? I just put some mayonnaise on. Oh, yum. I love boiled potatoes. No one else does, but I love them. So this, those words are my potatoes. For Nina, it's her pasta. For, for other people, it's their curry and rice. And for my vegans out there, it's your tofu, right? God is saying to forcefully take those words, make them yours. See and understand Steve's word this morning was fire those things, fan those words back into flame. Let them sustain you and keep you warm once again. See, God says, make those words yours. See and understand that this is God's word to you. Yes, the word of God is general. Yes, the word of God is universal. But hunger and thirst means that you also take it personal. So the Bible isn't just wise, general advice. It's God's specific word to you. And you need to take it. It's mine and I'm going to keep it. Goes on, treasure up my commands. Now treasure here in its original meaning means to store up and to hide away. You know, God's word isn't designed to be an instant pickup. I'm in trouble, so I kind of open up the Bible, bang, oh, no, no. Right, you might get the words. No, I won't say that, right? So, uh, but you know, like, it's not a drug. That's what a drug addict does. I'm down, I can't do, they take a hit and they're good again. 
until that thing kind of like gets out of their system again. The Word of God isn't like a drug that we just use every time that we get in trouble. The Word of God is something that's a storehouse. God's Word keeps on giving. You know, those words I have are stored in my heart. I can go to them. I can get them because they're in a store. I've, I've hidden them and they sustain Him. I'm not in lack. I'm not in fear. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not without vision. I don't come up short in any situation in life because I've got a storehouse in the Word of God. And that's why we ask you, read the Bible every day. Every day, just take some moments. If you don't like reading, listen to it every day. But get it in your spirit. Build a store. And then one day, as you need something, there it is. You have to go get it. It's already there. Get a life word. That's what I'm going to pray for people at the end of this message. I feel that's what God's saying this whole service. I'm going to pray for people. If you do not have a life word. See, I, I actually get amazed at how many people do not have a life word. I do not have a scripture that can sustain them no matter what they're going through. That's their word. But as you've heard me say before, I've, I've gone through my words and shown you how they relate specifically to my personality, relate specifically to my experience, relate specifically to who I am. They're nice words for you. They're going to be good to you. They're good words, but they're mine. They're, there's something that God has done. I can do that. And I'm going to pray at the end that you have one of those words that's going to get you through. goes on and says, making your ear attentive. The word attentive here is to hearken. To heed, it means that you're going to do something, not just think about doing something, you're actually going to do something. The Word motivates you into action. James in the epistle says uh, that he wrote, he says, don't just be hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word. And then it says, you notice it starts, it says, making your ears attentive. It's your decision. You need to make yourself obedient to what God has asked you to do. Not me, not your leader, not some pastor. You need to make your ear attentive. And the hungrier and thirstier you are for God, the easier it is to be obedient. I want to tell you that. Hungry people have no issue being obedient to what God's asking them to do because they see their obedience as just giving them a greater experience of who Jesus is. Goes on and says, inclining your heart to understanding. I like this because it gives the impression of needing to stretch to bend down. Right? So it's, it's not just kind of like, no, I'm stretching. I, I, I'm getting into a place of being uncomfortable, seeking people. Hungry people don't mind getting into an uncomfortable place. Don't mind getting into a place where, where it's a stretch. I, I can't quite get that, but I'm going to stretch down. I'm going to stretch down and get it. It's leaning in. It's making sure that you hear what it is that God said. It's putting aside the distractions so that you can hear what it is God is saying. See, inclining is a heart attitude. It's a posture. Hungry, thirsty people are at the ready. They're not leaning back, they're leaning in. 
Their hearts are soft. Their hearts are malleable. Their hearts are learning. Their hearts are humble. They're not cynical, negative, or jaded hearts. Because of the stretch, they become more flexible. You know, I play a lot of squash. You'd know that a couple of times a week. And uh, there was a period of time where I was getting these hamstring injuries all the time, just like little nicks. And, and you get a hamstring goes, it's an old man's injury and calf injuries. I know that, so don't mock me, right? But um, at least I'm doing something, right? So, so I'm trying to like play and then, oh, it's like, oh, I can't do anything. Sorry, you win this game, right? His mark was winning by too much. I just, oh, there it is gone, right? But uh, um, so but what happened is that I found out that I wasn't stretching, I wasn't doing the stretch. So when the pressure of the game came, something broke. Something didn't work right. There was a strain. There was a, there was a break and I couldn't go on. Right? If you're not willing to stretch, you're not willing to lean down. If you're not willing to lean into, under the pressure, you don't receive what it is. See, the stretching builds resistance to pressure and being hungry and thirsty makes it easier to stretch when God is asking you to. Call out for insight. This literally means to call out. But it means to ask. And what it does is it gives the thought of being specific in what you're asking for. It's a little bit like James that says again, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Right? That Who will give liberally without finding fault. Right, he's talking about being specific in that James scripture is talking about specific wisdom. I need insight. God, am I to move forward? Am I to stand back? And I say yes, am I to say no? God, what is it? I, I need to know insight. I need to know what it is to do next. Ask God what to do. Ask God what not to do. Call out for insight into God's plan for your life. Don't be passive, but be a person of action. James once again warns us in an epistle. He goes, you have not because you asked not. You know, the passage starts with my son. I want to tell you, my kids have no issue asking, right? They will ask me for anything that they want. They, they, they will come to me at any time and they will ask. We're not asking some king who's kind of like, above us. We're not asking someone who would deign, kind of, okay, might as well do something, just get out of my hair. I just want to get you away. We're asking our Abba Father. We're asking someone who loves us. We're asking someone who actually cares. If I can help my son or my daughter, I'm going to do that. Sometimes I know that what they're asking for isn't going to be good isn't going to help them. So I need to say, no, that's discipline, right? That's showing love. Sometimes God's no is actually showing love. But at least I've asked. And we have not because we ask not. It's very interesting in that James scripture. It says, you know, anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who will give liberally? When you ask of God, he's not going to use an eyedropper. He'll pour out liberally. You'll know what he's saying. And then it says, without finding fault, right? You don't have to ask in some particular way. I've got to kneel down this way. I've got to say this three times. I've got to face over there. I got to... No, just ask. That's all he's looking for. Just ask because it shows hunger and it shows thirst. 
when you're hungry and thirsty for God, you never feel too bad to ask God, your heavenly Father, for help or for insight. It just comes naturally. Raise your voice for understanding. Now, it does not mean, the word raise here, just a louder version of call out. So it's like, God, I want you to help. God, I want you to help. No, that's not what it's actually saying. It actually make, it means to make a set decision. Right? This is what we're going to do. Like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Right? You can go and do whatever. I don't care. That's up to you. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What this is saying is that when you're hungry and thirsty, you have a set way of living. This is what I'm going to do. So I'm do this. I'm not kind of like shaky. I'm over here one minute and over there next minute. No, I've set my course. I've set my course to be hungry. I've set my course to be thirsty. There's no ifs, no buts, not could be, maybe. I've had set in stone. It's what I do. I'm going to seek after the things of God. It's who I am. It's what I do. Now, it's very interesting. It's like the raising of a flag. You know, it denotes allegiance or it denotes ownership. You know, they, you put the flag down and it's like, this is what I'm believing. This is mine. And that's what it's saying. We need to put a flag in those godly qualities that God is asking us to do. See, we need to want and say, I am going to live by wisdom. I'm going to live by understanding. That's what it's saying. I, I call out for wisdom. I, I raise my voice for understanding. This is how I'm going to live. See, wisdom is knowing you need to do something. Understanding is knowing what to do, when to do, and how to do. And those two things are, are, are hand in glove. They, they work together, wisdom and understanding. Hungry and thirsty people make a set decision to pursue wisdom and understanding. There'd probably be very few days that I don't ask God for wisdom. There's probably very few days where, where I'm just sitting there, God, just give me wisdom. That's how I want to run my life because I'm not smart. I don't know enough. But God knows everything. And say, God, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. And over the years, good things have happened. And I believe, because the Bible says, in all you're getting, get wisdom, for wisdom is the principal thing, right? He goes, it's basically saying, you know, no, don't go for riches, don't go for honour, don't go for riches. He goes, go for wisdom and you'll get those things. If you go for wisdom, the Bible says that riches are in the left hand and I think honour is in the right hand. Just go for wisdom and everything else just comes. Everything else will just come for you. Hungry and thirsty people make a set decision to pursue wisdom and understanding and won't move forward without those things. If you seek it like silver. The word seek here means to seek to find. You actually set out to secure something, right? So the end goal is actually getting the thing that you seek, right? It's to keep on going. It's not to be dissuaded. It's not to be distracted. You're focused on getting this thing until you get the thing. You don't give up. You know, like a miner seeking silver, you keep on digging day after day, night after night, day after day, 
until you find that, see, that, 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 what it, that silver that you're looking for. It's saying that in your seeking for wisdom and understanding, you don't allow obstacles. You don't allow the injustices. You don't allow the unfairnesses. You don't allow the blocks. You don't allow the cost. They're not going to get in your way. He's going to keep on seeking. Keep on digging. I'm going to keep seeking this silver until I find it. And why, why does a miner keep on seeking? Because he knows in finding the silver, he's going to be enriched. In seeking and hungering and thirsting for wisdom and understanding, understand in finding it, you will always be enriched. Hungry and thirsty people have an insatiable appetite that keeps them going through the toughest of times. See, this is, this is a great example of where the different words show you a lot of what I was talking about. Because you think seek and search would be pretty much the same word. And it goes on and says, and search for it as hidden treasures. The word search here gives the picture of someone searching every avenue. Oh, they're not just a one-track mind person. But if they didn't get it there, they're going to try here. They didn't get it here, they're going to try there. If they didn't get it here, they're going to try up there. They're going to try down here. They're going to try every avenue. You know, sometimes as a leader, I can get frustrated. I'm much better than I used to be. Back in my early days, I would very much give vent to my frustration when this happened. Right? So I'd ask someone, can you go visit so-and-so? Or can you go and or can shop and find me one of those things? And what would happen is I'd see them a little bit later and I'd say, oh, did you go visit so-and-so? And they go, yeah, I left the message on the phone. It's like, <laughs> and now I come push it back down again. But back before, what do you mean I can ring someone up too? I asked you to go visit them. But I, they, they didn't ask. I went to the shop. I, I, yeah, I Googled one shot. They didn't have it. I go, what are you talking about? I'd get so upset. I go, why, why don't you do this way? Why don't you do that way? And I think of five different ways in which they could have done it because that's how I think, right? And, and it would make me so mad. As I said, I'm, I'm much more gracious now. I'm a Christian, right? And, uh, and I treat them well. But it just drives me mad when I ask someone to do something and they just one way. Like this, I tried it. I did it. But they didn't do it again. They didn't look this way. They didn't look that way. They didn't look this way. I think one of the frustrations of Peter when he's at the boat and Jesus said, you know, have you, have you throw your net on the other side. I mean, Peter would have been so like, what are you talking about? I'm a fisherman. You don't think I've tried every side? I try this side, try that side. I try this side. I tried every side, right? That's what you do. And that's why I want to say to you, don't just be saying, oh, one trap. I tried it once, it didn't work, right? I went out to the front. I go, I prayed, nothing happened. You know, I raised my hands in worship one day. I didn't feel goosebumps. I didn't start crying like Pastor Mark does. Right? Like, no, try again. And again. And again. And again. Search. Search. Search for her. Hungry, thirsty people don't give up after one try. They try everything up, down, left, right. Every possible way. Until they're sure there is no way. They test every avenue nine times. Out of ten, they're going to get the job done. See, hungry, thirsty people aren't lazy. Near enough isn't good enough. 
And that's how God wants us to seek after wisdom and insight, understanding and knowledge. Maybe the band could come. So there you have it. Eight words that describe what hungry, thirsty looks like. They're going to come up on the screen and I want us to say them with me. Try another way. No. Here we go. Say it with me. Receive, treasure, attentive, inclining, call, raise, seek, and search. We need to be hungry and thirsty for the things of God. This morning, I want to challenge you. Live hungry and thirsty. Live hungry and thirsty. Want everyone to close their eyes? I'm going to pray. Father, I pray for us as a church today and as individuals. I pray for a hungry, thirsty congregation. I pray that our church is a deep well that people can continually drink from, oh God. I pray that we're a banquet table, that that hungry people can continually feast upon, oh God. I pray that we receive your word and that we will make it personal and that will be ours. I pray that we would treasure your word, and that it become an abundant storehouse to us. Lord, make our ears attentive so that we'll not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Our prayer, I pray, oh God, that our posture would always stretch us to in leaning in and never, Lord, leaning away. I pray that we would call out specifically for a word that we need to get us through specific circumstances. I pray that that we would raise our voice and set our minds on trying to find you, oh God. I pray that we would keep seeking and when obstacles are trying to get us to quit and that we would keep searching until we find. Father, Lord, stir our hunger. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Lord, we are a church that's hungry for encounter. Father, we are hungry. We thirst for a move from you, O God. And I pray in the name of Jesus, O God, that Father, as I said, this church would be a well and a banquet table. That those who are hungry and those that are thirsty would always be filled by you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I want to finish, and it might be a bit, you know, like confronting because I'm going to ask you to put up your hand. But maybe today, you say, I don't have a personal scripture. Right? You've heard me say it before. Proverbs, uh, Isaiah 54, verse 17. Right? Uh, pro- it is, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against me in judgment you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. That's my word. No matter what I go through, that word helps me. Isaiah 50 verse 4. The Lord God has given me a tongue of the learned. Each morning by morning it comes to me that I may hear as the learned, that I may speak a word in season to him who is weary. That's a life verse. And it says, Proverbs 3, take firm, sorry, it's 4, take firm hold of instruction, my son, for she is your life. 
When you run, you should not stumble. When you walk, you will not fall. Those three words sustain me through no matter what I go through. Every single day, they mean something to me. The Proverbs 4 word I got maybe two weeks after I became a Christian, way back in 1982, right? God's sustaining word. Do you have a scripture? Do you have something that 10, 20, 30, 50 years later is still feeding you, is still doing something in your spirit? If you haven't, I want to pray for you this morning. So that you this morning and you want to seek for it. If you want to be hungry and thirsty for that, then I want to tell you, you're hungering and thirsting for something that's incredible. That's something that's sustaining. That's something that's energizing. If you haven't got that personal word, please, and you want one, just, just raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. actually ask you to take an extra step. I want you to stand. I want you to stand in this place. You want that word. You're hungry and and thirsty for, for hearing a scripture that's yours. Father, I just pray for these men and women who are standing, oh God. Father, your word is what we base our life on, oh God. Not philosophies, not podcasts, not all the different things, oh God but your word. And I pray for every man and woman who is standing this morning, oh God, that you would give them their word, oh God. Father, they would receive into their hearts a word that's going to sustain them, inspire them, strengthen them, guide them, oh God, calm them, oh God. Father, I speak that, oh God, one that engenders faith, one that gets them to get up again and run again. One that says, I'm not going to sit down, but I'm going to stand and I'm going to see what it is that God has for me. One that points them to the future, oh God, and turns their head from the past into what you have, oh God. Father, you live in where you're taking us, oh God. Father, not in the yesterday, but what you have for us tomorrow. The thoughts you think towards us are good and they're for a future, they're for a hope. They're what you have for us to come, oh God. They deal with what's behind. They deal with what's today, but they walk us into our future. And Lord, I speak that over everyone's life is standing up. A word from you, a scripture they can quote, a scripture they can memorize, a scripture they can stand upon. Father, I speak that into their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.